This is an audio recording of the Lendit Fintech Weekly News Show. The show is streamed live on Lendit TV, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter at 5 p.m. Eastern Time every Thursday. In this fast-paced show, the Lendit News team and a special guest discuss the most important fintech news stories of the past week. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Fintech Nexus Weekly News Show. My name is Peter Renton, Chairman and Co-Founder of Fintech Nexus, joined as always, but actually he wasn't here last week because he just had a baby and uh, he is taking taking time out from his eight-day-old boy to join us here on the news show. How are you doing, Todd? I'm good, Peter. Number two for us, uh, healthy baby boy, Cole Edward. Eight pounds, 13 ounces. And everybody, mom and baby, are doing great. Excellent. Excellent news. And uh, our special guest today, uh, back again, Tim Lee. How are you doing, Tim? Doing fantastic. Congratulations, Todd. Thank Peter, you. Peter, always uh, good to be here. All right. Well, before we start, we just want to acknowledge the the Queen's passing today. It was uh, obviously a, a, a very, very big news story that's dominating dominating the thoughts of those of us in fintech, particularly in the UK. So I wanted to acknowledge that. But we do have a busy news show to get to, and we are going to start talking about bank fintech partnerships. I mean, this is something that we started talking about in like 2014 um, or even <laughs> earlier, but um it seems like the current OCC is getting uh, getting very interested in these types of partnerships. So we, we're going to have two articles here that we're going to talk about. The first, they're both from American Banker, actually, but it was covered extensively uh, in the fintech press. But the first one, talking about how, um, like, the OCC took action last week against Blue Ridge Bank. They're, they're one of the smaller banks when it comes to bank fintech partnerships, but they had a couple of aggressive um, you know, mm-hmm. clients, shall we say. But, you know, that was the first hint that, uh, that there was something something going on here. And, uh, you know, the, the, the OCC has said that many of these banks that are, are, are in the bank fintech partnership game are small banks. So they're, 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 um, they're going to be paying attention to these. So... Any thoughts um, on uh, on that, guys? I think yeah. What's you know the ahead, the initial thought was, you know, in reading the articles, you know, some of the stuff that he talked about, I think, is sensible, especially when it comes to like cyber risk and and those things, uh, because you know, obviously, if if a fintech that's building fast is partnering with some of the banks. And these banks are obviously more regulated entities. They're chartered, depending if it's state or federal or whatever. Um, you don't want to bring in companies and technology that's not tested and proven and potentially opens up risk in, in, in ways like that. So I think in those terms, I'm, I'm all for you know making sure there's certain bars to hit. But then he kind of mm-hmm. felt like he jumped from there to like the extreme other side saying that this could cause another financial crisis. Um, and I think he's playing a little bit to um, either the press or, or certain uh, regulators or even legislators on um, some of his comments, because I think it, it's quite a leap from where he started to where he ended up. And I think the market should play out some of this stuff. If there's bad products, people won't, buy them or they'll be too high priced and the lower price products will um, will win 
Um, but I think he's, he's being a bit aggressive. Maybe he's posturing in some ways. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. I mean, uh, 10 years ago, we had, you know, the crossovers, the web banks of the world, the two, three big ones out there uh, that are doing these partnerships. Now there's a, there's a long tail mm-hmm. of banks yeah. are trying to copy the model, right? Maybe have um, got enamored with how they're going to make money with fintech partnerships. Uh, I, I think I know firsthand that these, some of these uh, onboarding process has been loosened up a little bit. So there's definitely a lot to be said about what OCC is doing, but hitting at the bottom of the, these articles, there, therein lies OCC in this Blue Ridge case, specifically OCC said, no more FinTech partnerships unless you get a no action letter from us, which I thought it was super over, over uh, zealous. Yeah. Like you yeah, can't that, onboard any more partnerships on to get it okay from us. I mean, that's, I see saying that, you're, you're essentially done. You're it's done. over. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you know, and, and, and I think that's the, that's the thing. And I mean, the, the, the second article that really talks about this like systemic risk. And I, um, I mean, sure you've got like there's companies like Chime that have you know, now, I think, you know, tens of millions, certainly more than 10 million clients um, in the U S that all Chime is not a bank. It's all with a partner bank, but you look at the, you know, you, like you was comparing it back to the financial crisis. And I just feel like there isn't much in common with the financial I mean, crisis and the growth of FinTech. Debrief the financial crisis. What was that? Yeah, I mean, that was a was, lot of greed. Yeah, it was a lot of greed, mm-hmm. and, and mortgage mortgages were out of control. And that's, yeah, but it was greed taking advantage of people who didn't understand the product, and then right. understanding how to flip it quickly, over and over again. And mm-hmm. so, you know, th- this is technology that's attempting, in many cases, yeah, I'm not saying that there's not bad actors out there, giving products mm-hmm. to people at lower costs, at the same time keeping a lot of community banks. Yeah, the Blue Ridges of the world, competitive enough to keep that one branch or two locations in a spot that, if this branch left, mm-hmm. would have zero banks in this this their towns. Mm-hmm. And so, not only is he, you know, to me, I think he's trying to whack the fintechs in in his comments more than the banks, but you know, it, it's a, it, it would be considerably damaging to the inclusion aspect of financial services mm-hmm. to eliminate a lot of these potential partnerships because chase will just gobble up these customers or bank of america will gobble up these customers and these small community focused banks will just continue to disappear yeah yeah yep all right well i, I mean that it's it's well it's it's to be continued obviously because this was just you know really a speech that uh, acting comptroller um, Sue was, uh, you know, was giving this week and nothing has actually happened yet. Apart from the, obviously the Blue Ridge, Blue Ridge action has happened, but there's everybody else. It's just a case of, you know, ramp up your compliance departments. If uh, you know, that, that's, that's the message to FinTech right now, because you really, this is not a, not a time for any unforced errors because you will be punished. It looks like so. And, and a lot of fintech should. I mean, they, they learned that lesson, you know, after Series A, Series B rounds. He's, you know, maybe this gets them to mm-hmm. learn it a little bit earlier in the the um, you know their growth stage. Yep, yep. Okay, moving on. We're going to talk about UBS and Wealthfront. This came out late Friday um, that UBS has uh, abandoned their um, 1.4 billion dollar acquisition mm-hmm. deal for Wealthfront. This was this was um, announced in January. 
pretty much at the height of the fintech valuation bubble. So, um, you know, that, that, that could be one of the reasons. We actually don't know. Um, you know, the UBS, you know, they, they want to, they say they want to, you know, they're, they're obviously um, Swiss-based bank, but they want to they want to make more inroads here in the U.S., particularly to the mm-hmm. more sort of the less affluent of, of um, their typical customer base. And uh, just didn't work out for them. They're, they're investing $70 million, looks like, as a breakup fee to Wealthfront, but um, that's, uh, you know, clearly they haven't been able to, um, you know, to, to basically come to terms. I'm still confused yeah. by this on the UBS side because, you know, if you read the article that we have, which I think is from, from Bloomberg, this is like the fourth or fifth failure of the, the new CEO to, to get mm-hmm. something kind of rolling in terms of a partnership and acquisition to uh, bring the bank forward and, and cater to a customer that's not the, the uber wealthy right. um, type right. customer. And it just seems like an odd decision i know the valuation stuff is is probably an easy go-to uh to talk about in the press but it just doesn't make much sense if it, when you read the stated goals when they talked about the acquisition i don't know how some of those are different now other than maybe the valuations of fintechs mm-hmm. yeah yeah well he certainly has a personal record of uh making some of these bigger deals, but I think that the last four, it really fell through, not just with UBS, with its prior uh, companies as well. Yep, but their whole strategy, UBS whole strategy is going after Gen Zs and post-millennials uh, using some of these tools like RoboVisor, Multifront. Um, and this was this whole thing. When they hired him, it was, you know, we hired you for that digital banking experience and this is his first leg of uh, that journey. Um, so I, I'm actually not sure how long he's going to stay. <laughs> stay yeah, there I, I remember too when, uh, yeah, UBS in the UK, we actually had them. We had the, they 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 um, built their own um, digital wealth management platform called Smart Wealth. We actually mm-hmm. they they um, at the launch we had we had the guy who was running it um, speak at our event in probably 2017, I think. But that that only lasted about a year. And then they, they they sold that off. Couldn't couldn't make it work apparently. So UBS. This is before Ralph Hamer's um, tenure, and so it. Uh, you know, they don't have, they don't have, they haven't got a great track record in uh, in digital wealth management. So we'll see if they can they can write the ship in other ways. But moving on, I want to talk about Binance uh, onto crypto for a little bit here. We um, yeah, Binance. This is a weird one. They. They have said that they are going to stop supporting three stable coins, USDC, which is the second largest stable coin in the world, mm-hmm. USDP, which is PAX, and then TUSD. Um, that the, 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 really, the big one is USDC. And they're going to say, right, you are, if you hold those, those stable coins, you are going to be converted into the Binance stable coin, which is the third largest stable coin, BUSD. Um, and they've given everybody like, you know, four weeks notice uh, to, to mm-hmm. get um, to get this. If you want to get out, you can just get out. But um, Tether was not involved in this, which I thought was really interesting. So you got the number number two and some other stable coins that are less less valuable, but Tether was not. But uh, anyway, curious curious uh, decision by Binance, I think. Uh, makes sense to me. It's a, it's just it's just a market share grab, right? I mean, they're not a, a that far of a distant number three or number no. two, 
They're not. Right. They're just right up against $50 billion worth of, uh, um, you know, uh, market cap, I suppose, for USDC. So they'll become number one. Um, but his auto conversion is a little bit, uh, you know, disingenuous. Um, and he, the CEO of Binance sort of throws some shades on the other cryptocurrency by saying that all to, you know, to solidify or to um, solidify the, the, the solvency of uh, stable coin, we want you to convert, you know, basically saying that all the other guys, uh, although they're calling themselves stable coins, not, not really solvent, which is kind of an interesting uh, byline out of his right. speech. But they will be the number one. I'm sure. Uh, yep, quite possibly. But it's a, it's a, it's an interesting play. A yeah, I mean, uh, I think the you know we're, we're about to see probably a lot more take place in the stablecoin space mm-hmm. uh, than mm-hmm. probably ever have to, to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I think the the most interesting part of all this, the stablecoin, uh, and even some of the. Um, you know, the comparison of, you know, which protocol does what and, and for whom and, and at what cost is how the the, the cross-chain, uh, potential cross-chain opportunities uh, and, w- and what, it, you know, will exist, hopefully, eventually. Uh, because if the networks don't eventually connect to one another in some way, uh, I mm-hmm. think you're missing out on a huge opportunity because then you're essentially, you know, having... Yeah, maybe a wallet will connect into different ones, but the, it, it limits the ability and the the efficiency potential if you could figure out some of the cross-chain stuff with uh, a lot of these different either right. stable coins or, or protocols because then it opens up endless possibilities to be as uh, transformative as we hope you know, some of this technology yeah, will be. Yeah, very true. And I mean, I, mean, I think well, this, the stable coin wars are... Are about to heat up. It seems like to me that like, there'll be a lot more action, and you'll have public versus private too. Yep, exactly, exactly. Anyway, moving on another another crypto story. We've been following this one for a long time, or for several weeks now. The this this is the tornado cash story. Uh, it was mm-hmm. an article. Um, or it, it was everywhere. Um, today, Coinbase is uh, bankrolling a lawsuit against the U.S. Treasury. Over, over the crypto sanctions. They basically, they filed a court challenge in federal court in Texas, basically saying that the US Treasury does not have the authority to sanction um, code. So there was no, there was no um, you know, person sanctioned. There was no uh, you know, company sanctioned. And obviously, this is a, you know, the Tornado, Tornado Cash is a, is a decentralized platform, but you know, they're, they're, they're basically saying, look, where the, where the Coinbase is the big gorilla here, we have the resources, we should be going to bat here. And because a lot of, let's just, just say, Tornado, Tornado Cash is a mixing platform used by bad actors like the North Koreans mm-hmm. and also used by people who just want to want to get anonymity because it, it, it basically shields, it, it basically makes makes it impossible to trace transactions. Um, and so some people say, look, they're, they're donating money to Ukraine. They don't want, they don't want their wallet address known. So they go through tornado mm-hmm. cash. So, you know, it, you've got, you've got bad uses for sure. And you've got good uses, but you know, cash has lots of, lots of crime involved in it as well. But we don't, uh, we don't ban that. So anyway, thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure why Coinbase wants to, Guy on that hill, right? It's a, it's a not a winnable <laughs> argument against U.S. Treasury. Um, 
and they use their own employees as one of the plaintiffs, I guess, right, in the lawsuit mm-hmm. or in the litigation, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, the stat says that over 40% of uh, Tornado Cash's overall volume was, uh, you know, these bad actors, right, the money launderers and also cyber criminals, right, you know, close to half. Is it's 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 not regulated in that sense. Um, I don't know. I, I really, on one hand, we, um, you know, this. I'm not sure if it's really Tornado Cash's authority to regulate this stuff. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. That's their whole business model to create anonymity, so you can mix up everything, all your holdings before it exits. Um, but I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, you can make an argument that people with a hammer can kill people as well, right? But the hammers right. are designed for something else altogether. I don't know. This is almost like the gun control uh, <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I think there's there's yeah. there's kind of two aspects I see to to the case or, or example here, which is there's probably always going to be some place for people to anonymously do something that's going to be out of the reach of sovereign governments and sovereign controls. And then there's going to be, if you want to come into the financial system as a whole and connect into banking and, and stuff like that, then you need to have these controls. But this side Mm -hmm. over here will always have this and it'll always be a cap as to how big that will get. Maybe it'll grow more over time. There'll be a hardcore group of people that will, live and die by it has to be anonymous it has to be decentralized it has to be um but you know the internet there's plenty of things on the internet that are way outside the control of uh the government right um and as long as Mm -hmm. you know how to code you can create your own google your own internet browser and basically Mm -hmm. do whatever the hell you want on it yeah that's that's a really good point todd and i think um you know you've got like you know the, the tornado caches of the world you can't stop them because like, as I said, like Tornado Cash is offline. Like you cannot use it right now, but someone's gone and copied the code and uploaded it to another yeah. uh, website. So the code mm-hmm. is still out there and uh, can easily be recreated. And you, so you just, it's not, it's not, it's not going to be possible to kind of just to, to shut all this. And down. People eventually will know I go here. I don't have FDIC insurance. I don't have recourse. Mm-hmm. But I can move money anonymously and I can do either good or bad things. If I want to hide my money from government and don't want to be targeted by them, great. I can do it here for a good cause or for a bad cause. If I want to you know, be in the mm-hmm. traditional financial system but connect in a more efficient way, I'll use Coinbase and, and others that, that help me yeah. do that. But use digital uh, money or digital yes. protocols or whatever. And being right. very tax efficient. If you know what I mean, right? <laughs> the treasury has better than you're moving money. There's no way to tax them. Yep, yep. That might be the that reason. Yeah. Okay, so um, moving on, uh, I thought this is really interesting. We're actually going to back to traditional banking. Uh, Zelle, Zelle has um, oh. there was an article in Forbes about Zelle, which is owned by um, seven of the largest banks in the country, and um, they are moving now more money than. More, more than double what Venmo moves and, you know, like more than like 20 times what Cash App moves. And so they've become, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I just went on, my, my bank is one of the seven banks that uh, is on Zelle. And it's, it, you go on, I just went on the app and you see it there, send money. It's really easy. And um, I, I, I personally don't use it as much as, as Venmo, but um, I, I feel like Zelle has 
you know they've got the they've got the sort of the cust the the, the, the customer base because they've got so many they've got tens and tens mm. of millions of customers be through through these all these large banks and and they're bringing more banks on board so it's you know, it really really interesting um you know that the zell has gotten so much traction in just four years yeah i this is probably the least int- the least surprising story that we have this week right uh but i i think there's an an added question that should be asked in the research do you know you're sending money by zell right because if they ask mm-hmm. that to the the same people that are sending money the people with the knowledge that they're sending it through Venmo, I guarantee would be significantly higher than people knowing that they're sending using Zelle. Cause they guarantee most of them think they're just using their bank app right. without mm-hmm. knowing that Zelle is powering it. Um, yeah, and so right. the volume wise, I'm not surprised, but if you were to ask all those consumers, which way do you send money more Zelle or Venmo? I think Venmo would crush Zelle from the standpoint of brand recognition. Yeah, quite mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah. Yeah. This makes perfect sense to me. I mean, Zelle sits on top of early warning services, which is owned by the seven largest banks, and they have associated banks in that network as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, bank created this their own rail, essentially, uh, yep. decades ago. The early warning services have been around for at least 20 years, I think. Yeah, um, sure. When I worked at Chase, we, we did a lot of work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they want to monetize it. In, in fact, in the charter of early warning services, uh, it says, you know, this is only created to defend fraud between banks, right? If I cash a check at JP Morgan Chase and cash it again at Wells Fargo, we're going to check against it with this database. It is not allowed to make to be anything else but that. Hmm. I think the new CEO at early warning services sort of bend the arms of these banks for over almost over like five, six, seven years that says, hey, we have this powerful network. We got to make something out of it. I think yeah. that's what's happening now. If you look yeah. at their uh, finances, I mean, they're charging eight, nine cents per transaction to the banks. But that's just monopoly money, right? The bank actually owns the company. So where is right. that eight, that nine cents per transaction going to, really? And this has potential to over uh, supersede Visa and MasterCards. In some well, that's the thing. If that's the, the interesting all united thing. Together. That's not really talked about mm-hmm. enough um, because that was in this in the article in Forbes was the fact that small businesses are starting to uh, Zell starting to get popular with small businesses mm-hmm. and they are now happy to do this because I think it was like zero point four five percent or it's or actually yeah maybe it is free because I think it, they charge the banks it's free it's free now yeah free exactly. the, they charge the banks free for the small business so users that's right do you want to get that, paid that's by the Visa big part. Yeah, do you want to get paid by Visa and pay three percent, or do you want to get paid by Zelle and pay zero? Man, that is a compelling, compelling mm-hmm. value proposition right there, and one that probably isn't being taken advantage of enough. I mean, I just, I just loaded up my 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 app on my phone here, and it does say, it just says send money. It's got the Zelle logo, and then just then it does say send money via Zelle. Right. It's it's it, it. So it's yeah. If you're in your bank app, you're gonna. Yeah, it's all inside my bank app. I don't know. It becomes, it becomes, yeah, it becomes, you know, kind of uh, second nature to think it's US, JP Morgan, whatever bank that I'm sending it through. You're not looking at the Zell logo. So it's, you know, it's it's, to me, I think the winner is obviously small businesses. Um, Awareness to them needs to jump up. But I think we're about to see a lot more competition in this space and small businesses 
slowly, I think we talked about it three weeks ago with Ron Shevlin, Peter, mm-hmm. kind of slowly taking the market share from uh, Visa and MasterCard and American Express to a smaller extent um, mm-hmm. and getting lower cost options through Dell, Venmo, Apple, whoever. Right. Um, and that's I think right. that's a good thing uh, because the duopoly is is very costly for a lot of small businesses that need as much of a margin as they can get. Yeah, I think. I mean, have you guys seen Zelle when you're just out and about going around small businesses? I, I, I have hardly ever seen. I see a lot of Zelle commercials. I don't see a lot yeah. of demo commercials. Then again, yeah, I don't see. I don't Gen see Z doesn't watch TV. <laughs> if I was a small business, I'd have Zelle right on my cash register and say, "Pay by Zelle." I, I yeah. maybe once I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. once. Anyway, we got to move on. So, um, and talking uh, again about uh, retail payments, Apple Pay. This was um, Mm. a report that came out um, this week that Apple Pay has is now processed more than six trillion dollars annually, which is now more than Mastercard has processed. Keep in mind, there's plenty of Mastercard inside Apple Pay, but um, but the total volume of Apple Pay, which is Visa, Mastercard, American Express probably other credit cards as well. Um, and that that has now become they the second largest payment processor after Visa. Um, Visa has does just over 10 trillion. Interesting. Bigger than Alipay in China, which I thought was mm-hmm. inter- interesting. Like Apple Pay, it sort of took a while to get going, but it, I mean I use it all the time now because I just I could I, everyone everywhere accepts um, except Walmart don't everywhere accepts like you know this tap to pay and I don't have to carry any I all, like I, I maximize miles and I've got all my ten credit cards loaded up in Apple Pay and uh, decide which one to to go as I, as I pay as I'm going and uh, it's just a much more convenient mm-hmm. way than carrying a whole bunch of credit cards around. Yeah, absolutely. I I I, I remember about a year and a half ago. It's all of a sudden I just switched over. Yeah, to Apple Pay, <laughs> it's so much easier than just you know, just it just clicked over for me for some reason. There was no distinct reason for it. I just remember I started using this uh, overnight. Uh, Load all my credit cards on the thing and just start tapping. Mm-hmm. I think the the big, or at least the the huge change will happen when I think Peter, you mentioned the Colorado is one of the small state, the fewer few states that does this which is your license goes on your phone yep uh, and so right now most people still mm-hmm. carry their license in a physical form and along with that will come their wallet uh and so i think people are starting to use both kind of whatever's more convenient they'll take out their phone they'll pay for it they're also used to doing that for like starbucks and dunkin mm-hmm. donuts and it's not a big step to then just use apple pay generally uh there you go there you go uh but <clears throat> once that becomes widespread then yeah. people are going to be like, all right, I don't need my wallet at all. Let me load up the cards. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's on its way to getting there. I think we need a couple of non-financial steps to to push the full mm-hmm. market in that direction. But, I mean, I think we're well on our way. And it's so mm-hmm. convenient. I mean, it's so convenient because not just is it a payment tool. I mean, I've got my health insurance card on here. I'm going to the Broncos game, not this weekend, but next weekend, but for home opener for the Denver Broncos. And the tickets are on my are in my um Apple yeah, Wallet. You got to pay that Russell Wilson right. salary now. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and go Bills, yeah. by the way. <laughs> it's Joe. I see, I see Todd has his Bills shirt on. The football season <laughs> opens tonight. 
Big game, right. big game indeed. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are we're going to end with a, a really interesting story, and this is a <laughs> it's a funky story, but it's it's one that creepy one kind of gives me the creeps a little bit. But uh, <laughs> this is where we've been talking about tap to pay, right? Well, there's mm-hmm. a company called Walletmore which allows you to implant an NFC chip in your under your skin, and mm. um, you it can you then can just you always have a payment. You obviously it comes with an app, and so, and it's NFC, so it doesn't have, it doesn't need a power source. Um, it, it just connects um, with, wirelessly, and um, so you just need your hand to pay. Um, and that, I mean, is it like is it, I mean, Elon Musk talks about putting implants in your brain. This is a little bit sure. less uh, <laughs> less intrusive than that. But even then, I'm still. I, I just it's just not that much of a problem to have your phone to tap to pay. Um, you so, still need your phone to, to make phone calls. Yes. Like you, you, yes, <laughs> unless we're yes. putting chips all up in our body. All right, let me get you this chip for my license and this chip to make a call. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think this is creepy. I don't think it's gonna yeah. attract anyone really. I think it's a, a novel idea and I think it's it's kind of interesting to talk about. I don't think there's any real stuff here. I, I looked into this. It still needs an app to work. You know, right. you still have to set it up in an app. <laughs> and I went to one of their official professional installation uh, places, at least on the on, on internet. It's a tattoo and piercing place. Really? So I have to think like twice it's... about, you know, having something injecting <laughs> like in my skin going to one of those places. Well, those yeah. guys, I mean, it probably makes sense um, to get like. Yeah, or any professional body modifier. I don't know any professional. Body modifiers <laughs> in, my, in my neighborhood, <laughs> you know that's what it says. Yes, uh, and oh, and, it, and it says you can actually install it yourself. The kit is well put together enough you can actually just do it yourself at home. To I I can't even. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. You know, you We're also talking about yourself with it. Yeah, they're also the talking chip. about making it smaller, and this is going to get all the conspiracy theorists uh, really, um, mm. uh, you know, alive and well. Saying <laughs> you can, you can, you can inject it into your like the the, the a future one is going to have it as an injection, a self injection. So you put a little because the chip will be so small it can fit through a needle. Uh, yeah, but that's uh, I'm not I'm not going there anytime soon. But yeah, there's a whole <laughs> new generation of, of people coming up that are probably going to be a little a little bit more open to it than. And then us. <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Anyway, we are out of time. Um, thank you very much, everybody, for uh, for watching or for listening. Um, thank you, Tim. Great to see you again. Thank you, Todd. Good luck to your bills tonight. Thank you. And, and uh, we will you, be, Tim. We'll be back uh, same time next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya. Be see safe. Bye bye. See you.